Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read, be reading in just a few moments from verses 12 through 18. Have you ever noticed someone that just inspired you to do better? Maybe it was somebody that was just really good at golf. Or maybe it was someone who had a great deal of musical ability and talent and just performed so well. Maybe it was someone who just lived a, a good moral life and you, and you were impressed with that. And you were thinking, boy, I would like to be like them. I'd like to do like them. And then you start thinking, well, you know, I don't have the talent they have, or I don't have the skill they have, or I don't have the determination they have, and the only way I'm ever going to be able to do like them in that particular area is if whatever they have comes and gets in me. God calls us to live for Him. He calls us to shine for Him. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to have His help to do that. And the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, Philippians 2, 12 through 17, reminds us of, of what we need to do to, to live in ways that are pleasing to God. Let's look at this. Beginning with verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Right. Notice that he mentions here in this passage of Scripture that we are to work out our salvation. What does it mean to work out your salvation? You've been in church very long. You thought, well, I thought salvation was the gift of God. And it is. Let's think about this. If we're going to work out our salvation, we've got to cooperate with God for that to happen. Have you ever stopped to think how many times you cooperate with something else so that you're doing something, but there's a greater power that does more? If you have a garden in the summertime, you plant the garden, but you don't make it grow. God has put within nature what makes gardens grow and produce a crop. Uh, suppose you want to start your automobile. You turn the key or you push the start button, but it's the battery that does most of the work to turn that engine over and get it running. You're just cooperating with something else that has a greater power than you do. So it is with our salvation. We cooperate with God. We can't save ourselves. We're sinful people. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins. What can a corpse do for itself? Nothing. We have to have God to come and change us. He has, he has to give us salvation. And, and that's what He does. That's why He sent Jesus. 
so that Jesus might come and, and be the, the, the perfect sacrifice for us. He died for our sins. And then God works to convict us of our sin and help us realize that we are sinners, help us to realize our eternal destiny without God. He comes and He makes us hunger and thirst for righteousness and desire to be forgiven, desire to be cleansed, desire to have eternal life, desire to live on a higher plane than where we find ourselves many times. It's God doing all of that. But we cooperate with Him, don't we? We let Him, you know, have a part, but then we do our part. It's, it's like, well, you know, someone gives you a gift, you don't earn, deserve, pay for that gift, but you still got to receive it. And that's the way salvation is. We don't earn it, deserve it, or pay for it, but we still have to receive it. You know, if you're sick, you go to the doctor, he gives you a prescription. You know, the doctor's decided what to do. The medicine's going to bring about the healing, but you've got to take it before it's going to do any good. You've got a role to play in it too. You've got to receive it. Same with salvation. Same with working out our salvation. So we cooperate with God to work out our salvation. It's totally His gift, but we've got to receive it and we've got to do something with it. It might help if we understand that salvation is a process. Sometimes we think of it as a one-time event, but it's a process. It's the process that begins with redemption. We recognize our sin. God draws us to Himself. We say, I need that. I want that. I open my life to it. And it starts. We can say, I have been saved once we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have salvation. It's already there. We have been redeemed. We have been adopted by God. We've become God's children. We've been made new. We're a new creation. We've been redeemed. We've been set free from our sin set free to life, but there is also sanctification. Now that's a big theological word, isn't it? You know, but sanctification means growing in the faith, if you want to put it simply. God continues to work with us and He helps us to grow in the faith. And that too is a process. You know, the Bible speaks about us being born again. Well, when a child is born, that child isn't what he's going to be as an adult. He grows. When we are born again and receive redemption, we're babies in Christ. But then we begin to grow in the things of the faith. And sanctification means we're growing in the faith. Over our lifetime, we become more and more and more Christ-like. If we're growing as we should, if we're letting God help us be sanctified. And then ultimately, there's glorification. That means that we're going to go to heaven when we die. We get glorified. We receive our resurrected bodies. We are fit for eternity living with God. So, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. I've received salvation, I'm being saved as that works out in my life, I'm going to ultimately be saved in heaven. Understand that salvation is a process, and it helps you understand what it means to work out your salvation. It means cooperation, it means going through the process, it means working out what God has put within. He's put salvation within us. Now we've got to work it out. As I studied for this sermon, I found a good illustration to help you understand what that means. Suppose somebody gave you a gold mine. I mean, it was chock full of gold. You were going to be one of the richest people on earth. There's so much gold in that mine. But guess what? 
It's not going to do you a bit of good as long as it stays in that mind, is it? You've got to work it out. You've got to mine it. You've got to bring it to the surface. You've got to do something to make it worthwhile to you and other people. So you work it out. What does it mean to work out your salvation? You cooperate with God so that you can bring to the surface what He's put within and be blessed by it and bless others by it. Now, how do you do that? How do you mine it? How do you work it out? How do you bring it out? All right, 12b says, first of all, with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, there's some fear involved. Fear of punishment. We live in a time where we don't fear God very much, do we? God's the man upstairs to a lot of people. He's the benevolent grandfather. We forget that God is a holy, just, righteous God. Burning holiness. We need to learn to fear God a little more. For we're going to have to give an account of ourselves to Him. And so there are some things I'm not going to do because I don't want to have to answer to God for it. I know what's wrong. Better not get caught up in that. There's a definite fear of punishment there. Not that I'm going to lose my salvation, but I might lose some of my reward. Then we respect God as a parent, not as a slave master. God's not out to get us. He's not out to beat up on us. But He is a parent. You know, if you're a good parent, you discipline your child sometime. You want your child to grow. You teach your child the way to grow and become what he or she should be. You know, God's a parent. He, he moves us along, but, you know, I didn't cross my mama too much. And I tried not to cross my daddy at all. We respect our parents because they're just working out what is best for us. And then we don't want to bring grief to God. We're his children. You know, if you're a parent, you know sometimes your kids bring you grief. No. They do things and say things, you're thinking, oh my goodness, where did they get that from? If you love someone, you're not worried about them hurting you as much as you're worried about hurting them. And we don't want to hurt God. We don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. We don't want to hurt the Savior and to embarrass the Savior and degrade the name of the Savior who died for us. We want to give God His proper place. His proper place. We want to let Him be God. And you know, you know what happens to us? It's not that we get up one morning and say, okay, I'm not going to give God His proper place. We just get up and we don't think about God at all. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We're involved in this. And we don't take time for God. We don't make time for God in our lives. Sometimes we do the same thing with our money. I want this. I want that. I want to buy this. I'm going to invest in that. And pretty soon, all your money's gone and you haven't given any of it to God. When he's supposed to get what's first. And we don't serve God because I've got to do this, I've got to take the kids there, and I want to be involved with that group, and I'm going to this game, and it's, it's all busy, 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 and all of a sudden you realize, what have I done for God this week? And sometimes it's not much, and sometimes it's nothing. We have to make it a point to give God His proper place. He needs to be first 
in our devotional life. He needs to be first with our money. He needs to be first with our time and energy and effort. We need to work out our salvation and take some work. And then verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. I'm not going to let that off. We get like, you remember the children of Israel as they were on the way to the land of Egypt? God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt when they had been groaning under their taskmasters. And, and they were on the way to the promised land. And God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey and I'm going to bless you there. But they had to go through the desert and sometimes they got thirsty and sometimes they got hungry. And you know what? They didn't say, oh, God's already blessed me so much and he's going to bless me later on. And he's with me now and he's promised to take care of me and I trust him to do it. Oh, no. That's not what they did. We are so tired of not having anything to eat but this manna. Morning, noon, and night, manna. Manna, 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 manna. Why can't we have something else to eat? Grumbling, complaining, didn't suit them. Oh God, it's a desert out here. There's no water out here. Moses, why did you drag us out of Egypt? We're going to die of thirst and our children are going to die of thirst and our livestock's going to die of thirst. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Complain, complain, complain. Why didn't they realize God had brought them out for a purpose and he was leading them to where he wanted to go? And he knew their needs. He's going to take care of them. Why did, you know, those children of Israel, those, they, 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 they were just like us. It's too hot in the sanctuary. It's too cold in the sanctuary. The air blows on me. You know, the lights are too bright. Can't see the screen real well. Don't like the music. <laughs> Aren't we just like them? And that the scripture says, work out your salvation without complaining and without arguing. We might have disagreements, but we don't have to get argumentative about it. Too often we act childishly, don't we? This didn't suit me, I'm going to take my marbles and go home. Or so-and-so said such-and-such such to me, you know, that just really hurt my feelings. I'm not speaking to her again. Without arguing, without complaining, God calls us to be a shiner. Guess what? You can't be a shiner if you're a whiner. You just can't. It's not going to work. Now look at verse 15. It tells us something else. So that you may become... Blameless and pure, children of God without faults in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. We're to have the highest moral standards. We are to live as people of God an absolutely straight life. And guess what? That's not easy. That's not easy. It's not easy because we lived in a crooked generation. We've got crooks everywhere. You know, there's just crooks everywhere. You know what's amazing to me? People used to rob banks. People still rob banks. Guess what? Banks now rob people. They do. They charge outlandish interest rates. They stick in hidden charges. You know, they will take a whole bunch of mortgages and bring them all together and sell them off and sell more and sell more. And what happens? We end up in a recession. There are crooked people everywhere. Why? Because they're living for just... What they can get here on earth? Never think about heaven. Depraved. 
We lived in a depraved time. Pornography? Child pornography? Hey guys, you better run from pornography. It's addictive. And it will mess up your mind. And it will mess up your life. And it will end up doing things, you doing things that you never wanted to do. You better stay away from it. Every bit of it. Wherever it pops up. Especially young people. Stay away from it. It's not going to bless you. It's going to curse you. Do you get it? It's not going to bless you. It's going to curse you. In your relationships. Stay away from adultery. It's not God's will for you. It's not going to be a blessing to you. Immodesty. We don't have much modesty today. I mentioned the guys, gals, be careful how you dress. We just take for granted that we can just, you know, flaunt the female body today and there's way too much of it done because it's not healthy. And it sets off minds in the wrong direction. Drug abuse, yeah. Alcohol abuse, yeah. Causes us to be more depraved. Disrespect for human life. Oh, we don't have much respect for people. The rights of people. We could go on and on. I don't have to belabor the point. We lived in a depraved time. And some of those things entice us as the people of God. And we're supposed to turn away from them. Not to let them be apart. Then we're around lost people and they have ideas that are completely contrary to the way of God. They have language that doesn't uh, no, exemplify Christian conduct at all or the right terminology for God and His people. No, we get caught up being with that. And the media today, what does it do? It glorifies depravity. You can't hardly watch anything through the media that's out there and a whole bunch of different kinds of it that doesn't glorify the depravity that we're living in. So it's hard, but that's not an excuse. We're to be blameless. Without blame. We're to be blameless. Not only act right, but live in such a way that it shows that we're acting right, and we're to be pure. We make a big deal about pollution. We don't like pollution. We, We don't like Polluted water, you don't want to drink polluted water. You don't like polluted air. You don't want to breathe polluted air. We don't like polluted food. You don't want to eat polluted food. You sure don't want to take polluted medicine if you're trying to take something to get well, it's just going to make you sick. We don't like polluted things. Why don't we allow moral pollution to invade our spiritual lives? It's the worst kind anyhow. We are to be pure. And we're through the power of God to do our best to keep ourselves pure. And it comes from giving Christ the proper place. Putting Him number one. Letting Jesus be Lord. Good many years back, a woman went to visit her son who had gone off to his first year of college and it was parents' day and she got to go up to his dorm room and he had some suggested pictures on the wall. Mom didn't say anything, but she put a picture of Jesus up there. Several months later, they had a parents' day and she came back and guess what? She looked at the wall and the suggestive pictures were gone and she looked at her son and he grinned a little sheepishly and said, couldn't leave those up there and have his picture up there too. That's the way it works, isn't it? Put Jesus first. Some of the rest of this stuff will take care of itself. Then 
15b. You shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Christian lives are not to be withdrawn or private. One of the heresies that gets into the church today is that religion is a private thing and you know, it's for you and you keep it to yourself. That's just a lie of the devil to keep Christians from doing what they're supposed to do. We're to stand out for Christ. We're to be different. Different in the way we dress, different in the way we talk, different in the way we react to people and to situations. We're to be different. If we're the same as lost people, how are they ever going to know there's supposed to be something different in following Jesus and the difference He can make? We're to be different. We're not, not supposed to be like the crowd. We're not supposed to fit in. Now that's hard for us because even as adults, we feel that peer pressure to be like everybody else. But we're to stand out for Christ. We're to be light. People live in darkness. We're to be light. What did Jesus say? You don't take your light and hide it under a bushel? Huh. Put it on a lamp so it brings light to the whole house. We are to be people who bring light to all of those around us. We let our light shine to the people who are in darkness. And that means we're going to have to be involved in evangelism. We're going to have to give out tracts. We're going to have to tell our story. We're going to have to pray for people and pray with people. We're going to have to write letters. We're going to have to, you know, suggest a book to read to somebody. We're going to have to be open to the opportunities that God brings our way and take advantage of them so that the good news might be heard. We have to hold out the gospel. You know, we're to, to work at it. We're to work at it. We're to take it seriously. Look at verse 16. As you hold out the gospel, the word of life, and then Paul goes on to say that I did not run or labor in vain. Guess what? It takes some running. It takes some laboring. It's not always easy. We're called to what? work out our salvation. Work. You were really old. You might remember Dobie Gillis. And he had a beatnik friend who was named Maynard. And anytime anybody said the word work around him, he went, work! You know, scared him to death to work. Well, boy, there's a lot of us like, still around like the old Maynard. Showing my age. Okay. Do all of this in God's power. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Salvation is of God. All of it. The start, the continuation, the culmination. God gives us salvation. But God works out our salvation with us as well. We don't do this in our own strength. God works in us. God works in us. Isn't that good to know that God is with us? He's helping us come to the faith. He's helping us grow in the faith. He's helping us share the faith. It's God working with us. Unfortunately, some never make any progress in the Christian life. They don't, you know, get any further than, than being infants in the faith. They don't grow. They don't progress. They don't become more and more pure. You know, they, it's the same old habits. It's the same old faults. It's the same old mistakes. It's the same old un, 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 unproductiveness in the faith. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way because we've got God's Holy Spirit within. 
This is what Jesus said. He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Will be in you. Paul wrote the Corinthians said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? When we become believers, God puts His Holy Spirit within us. Remember I talked about earlier, if you admire somebody playing golf, playing a musical instrument, or having a good moral life, you would think, oh, I couldn't do that unless I've got in me what they've got in them. Guess what? You got it when it comes to to working at your salvation because God is in us. You don't do this in your own strength. You don't do this by your own willpower. It's God who works in you. And He puts His Spirit in us. Now, verse 17, Paul says, I'm being poured out like a Drake offering. Poured out. It takes sacrifice. It takes self-abandonment. That's where it gets hard, isn't it? I want to live for my plans. I want to live, I, I want to work to achieve my green dreams. I want to run after my purpose. And God says, no, you follow my way. You follow the dreams I have for you. You follow the purpose I've chosen you for. And we think, golly, that's got to be hard. And it is. But guess what? It's a matter of trust. Who's in control anyway? Isn't it God? Who's going to bring things to fruition? Isn't it God? So Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, instrument of death, and follow me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I live because Jesus gave Himself for me. And we can live in His power, with His strength, for His glory. And the result, if you look at this in verses 17 and 18, so you should be glad and rejoice. It's joy and gladness. The result is joy and gladness. And man, you know what? That seems so contradictory. How could you die to self and die to your dreams and yet it end up producing joy and gladness? Look back at the beginning of verse 5 of this chapter. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even death on a cross. Therefore, get the therefore, because Jesus did that, therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. 
that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because Jesus made himself nothing, therefore, he's been given the highest name. All right, look at verse 12. Therefore, now he's speaking to us. My dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in our absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the result is going to be joy and gladness. God does things that are just unexpected and unexplainable. But He's God. And He does it. God is working His good purpose in us. Good purpose. There in verse 13. According to His good purpose. He's working for our good. And He's having us to work for good. People don't like to live or die for nothing. You know, you see so many causes today that people give themselves to that are just, you know, worthless or just ridiculous. I mean, there are all kinds of causes that people are living for today. We don't like to live and die for nothing, but we're living for a higher cause. We're living for Christ. We're living because He redeemed us. We're living for the glory of God and His purpose in the world. And so in His name, we share His salvation. And we share His love. All right. You ready to shine for Jesus? Are you ready to receive Jesus as Savior? Has He been working in your life? You're feeling that tug on your heart that you have sinned and you need a Savior. And that you want to live for a higher purpose. And today you would accept Jesus. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself today and say, Lord, it's hard to live in this world, but you come in... Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit so that I can live in a way that's pure and blameless and really glorifies you. Maybe because you're seeking to live for Jesus, you know Jesus is encouraging you to put your membership in this church. Would you do any of these things? We sing our imitation hymn, which is number 332.